0: Take your Bibles once again and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we read uh, really uh, more than what we're going to cover this morning. But uh, I wanted to have uh, uh, the scripture read that covers this entire story. We're going to look at the first part of it today. And then, the Lord willing, we'll look at the second half of it next Sunday. Message the message uh, is entitled, A Humble Servant. Now, I think we can all relate to Linus in Peanuts' cartoon strip where he shouts in frustration, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Well, it's easy to love the human race. In the abstract, that is. But sometimes when it comes to loving specific people, sometimes who are irritating, some people who, as my daughter called it, agonate you, uh, the process becomes more difficult. Of course, none of you have anybody like that in your life that irritates you, do you? Well, I once said, you know, the ministry's not so bad if it weren't for the people. But you know what? It's, it's not just the people, it's the preacher. And uh sometimes uh we need to realize we're all fallen sinners and uh We need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, and certainly uh, He can make the difference. But here in our text, in John chapter 13, we see the Lord Jesus loving men who didn't deserve it. Uh, Luke chapter 22 tells us that at the Lord's Supper, this was the Lord's Supper just after Jesus announced that one of them would betray Him, the disciples got into a dispute about which of them was the greatest. For the reasons that we cannot know, John omits Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper during this Passover meal uh, in his Gospel. But sometime during the the Supper, Jesus got up and performed this task, which normally was the job of slaves. Since foot washing came before Jesus mentioned the betrayer, The dispute among the disciples about which of them was the greatest probably came after the graphic lesson they had just observed. Not only were the disciples bickering, but they knew that Judas was about to betray him, or Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him, and Peter was about to deny him, and all the disciples were about to desert him. And all of these sins show us that the disciples did not deserve Jesus' love. And you and I don't deserve it either. Fact is, these disciples needed to have their dirty feet washed, and that pictures their need for a cleansing from sin. And we're just like them. We all have dirty feet that Jesus needs to wash. And In fact, the very reason Jesus came was to die in the place of dirty sinners so that they would be cleansed. And also, his example of humility in washing the disciples' feet gives us a practical example of how we can love those who do not deserve it, even though he has loved us. And so, our text here brings together these three Themes: Jesus' love for those who do not deserve it, the example of demonstrating His love through humble service, and our need to cleanse our sins. So first of all, notice the reality of Christ's love. The reality of Christ's love. And we look here in verse 1 of chapter 13, and we notice here that John emphasizes through repetition... Jesus' love for his own. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now that last phrase there may seem a little bit ambiguous. It can mean that Jesus loved the disciples up to the end of his life Or it could mean that Jesus loved them totally or to the uttermost. And both of those things are certainly true. John's mention of the Passover draws attention to the fact that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Just as the Jews put the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts and the lintel to protect them from the angel of death, so Christ's blood, applied to our hearts by faith, protects us from the wrath of God. Now, the mention that Jesus knew that his hour had come reminds us that God had ordained the cross. This was God's plan. While sinful men who crucified Jesus were responsible for this terrible uh, deed, this thing that uh, we perhaps humanly can't really understand, but at the same time, the cross was predetermined by God. It was part of His plan. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. We find that Jesus deliberately laid aside His glory, just as He laid aside His garments, and He took upon Him the form of a slave and became obedient to the death of the cross. And Then after His resurrection from the dead, He returned to the Father in glory. But don't miss this point. Unless Jesus is your Passover lamb, unless you have applied the shed blood to your heart by faith, then you are under the curse of death, which means eternal separation from God. John also emphasizes that Jesus' disciples were in the world. Jesus was about to depart from this world, but the disciples were still in it. Later on, Jesus will pray in John chapter 17. He doesn't ask the Father to take these men out of the world. Uh, That would be the sphere of ministry that he has put them in, which he has sent them to. And this world is a sphere of ministry that God has sent each one of us to. But they were to be distinct from the world as you and I are. And should be. But you know what? Walking in this world, we get our feet dirty, don't we? And so we need cleansing. Now verse 1 states that Jesus loved them. He loved them. Of course, John 3.16 states that God loves the world. But here the emphasis is on Jesus' love for His own, not the world. The emphasis is on... Jesus loving his own. God loves the world. He makes provision for the sins of all that would believe in Jesus. And the invitation goes out to everyone. Come and take the water of life without cost. And yet at the same time, Jesus has a special love for his own that he does not have for the whole world. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, when he says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And we can understand this principle, can we not? As a Christian, I'm commanded to love all my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I have a special love for my wife. I'm commanded to love all of God's children. But you know, I have a special love for my own children. We can understand this principle, can we? Uh, In the same way, Jesus has a love for his own. And those are the ones that the Father had given to Him, as it says in John 6. And if you have put your trust in Christ, He wants you to know and to feel His special love for you. He loves you unto the end. John contrasts Jesus' love for His own and Judas' satanic treachery in verse 2. He says, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus loved Judas, even though he was not one of his own. And he washed Judas's feet. He washed Judas' feet before he went out to betray the Lord. And Jesus had known all along that Judas would betray him in fulfillment of Scripture. And while Satan was the immediate force behind Judas' betrayal, yet at the same time, Judas was responsible for his awful sin. He rejected the love of Jesus, whereas the other disciples knew it personally. And so John wants to ask you and me this morning, in spite of being painfully aware that you don't deserve it, do you know the love of Christ as a reality in your life? Does His love humble you before the cross? Does His love cause you to hate sin? Does His love motivate you to serve others in love, even as He loved you? And if, you're, if you never experienced His love, then how will you respond to that love? But John doesn't just tell us about Jesus' love. He also shows us in a very dramatic, shocking way the reality of humble service. Again, we've heard that phrase or that saying, actions speak louder than words. And that certainly is true many times. Jesus' actions here show us both how he has loved us when we were unworthy of that love, and how we can love others who may not be worthy of it. Verses 3 through 5 paint the picture here. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God, went to God and he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, had come "...from God, and he was going to go back to God, and he gets up from this supper, he sets aside his garments, takes a towel, he girds himself, and then he pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded." Now by the first phrase there, John shows us Jesus' authority, all over heaven and earth, the Father hath given all things into his hands. The hands that control the universe, including the angelic host, humbly washed the dirty feet of twelve undeserving apostles. And to understand this, I think we need to know that washing someone's feet was the task of the lowest servants in that day. Friends did not wash their friend's feet. There are no examples in ancient literature of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. And so the disciples would have been shocked that their master, their Lord, washed their feet. Apparently they were so shocked they sat there in silence. They were stunned until Jesus came to Peter, that is, of course. And he probably verbalized the thoughts that others had been afraid to say. And he says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. But as Jesus will go on to explain later in verses 14 and 15, he did this to give an example of how we should humbly serve one another. Now, this humility is seen here in at least four practical aspects. First of all, humility requires doing what needs to be done. Now, I've pastored small churches uh, uh, already, uh, and this is the largest church I've pastored. And I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the, for the people. I'm thankful for the churches I've pastored. But, you know, when you pastor small churches, sometimes you need to do some things you'd rather not do. There are times I was the senior pastor, the assistant pastor, the music pastor, the youth pastor, the receptionist, the secretary, the janitor, the which included, by the way, cleaning bathrooms. If nobody likes to clean bathrooms, now I was the groundskeeper all at the same time. Plus, in one church, I had all those responsibilities. I also had a full-time job. Now I'm not saying that to have so you'd have pity on me. I'm just saying sometimes you do what you have to do. Thankfully, I've received help in these duties. Over the years, even from my own wife and my family, you know, we've uh, cleaned the church together as a family many times. And I always assign somebody else the bathrooms, of course, but <laughs> welcome to the ministry. That's what the ministry is all about. Now, I'm not suggesting that a pastor's main role should be cleaning bathrooms or doing other jobs of service, you know. Uh, as a pastor, we must d- devote ourselves to the ministry of the word, to shepherding the flock. And those that are gifted to serve should devote themselves to service. At the same time, never, we never need to think of a task as beneath our dignity or calling. We're to be servants of Christ. Sometimes he asks us to clean bathrooms out of love for him. I'm certainly glad for those in our church who are helping getting many of these things done so I can deserve more time to study and ministry and to the needs of spiritual needs of, of people. Humility requires doing what needs to be done. Secondly, humility requires thinking of others. Disciples hadn't washed one another's feet because they were arguing about who was the greatest. And after pointing out that seeking dominance over one another is the way of the world, Jesus said to them over in Luke chapter 22, but ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether he is great, whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. There were two women in the church at Philippi that had a dispute. Paul wrote to that church and said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he went on to cite the example of Jesus, and, uh, who willingly took the form of a servant, went to the cross for our sakes, and so many quarrels in churches and in our homes would evaporate if we would, with humility of mind, regard the other person as more important than ourselves. Now, related to this, humility requires getting your focus off yourself. And I'm talking about not being focused on your rights or your needs, but focusing on the needs of other people. The eternal Son of God to whom Father had given all things into his hand, who had come forth from God and was going back to God, as we see here in verse 3, Jesus certainly had the right right, uh, uh, viewpoint and focus for his disciples. He was going to wash their feet. And I'm sure his feet were as dirty as theirs. But he wasn't focused on his needs or his rights, but he was focusing on their needs. Uh, They not only needed their dirty feet washed, but they also needed a lesson in humble service. I think, again, many quarrels that we might have in a church or in our homes would stop before they started if we would take our eyes off of ourselves. Take our eyes off of our rights, our needs, instead of thinking about, instead thinking about others' needs. A husband can say, you know, I've worked hard all day. I've put up with the hassles at work so I can provide for my family. Don't I have a right to have some peace and quiet when I come home at night? Maybe. But you know what? That's the wrong focus. It's the wrong focus. The wife might think, well, I've been changing diapers, I've been shopping for groceries with screaming kids, I've been cleaning up messes all over the house, and I've been trying to get dinner in on time. Don't I have a right for a little time for myself? Maybe, but it's the wrong focus. You see, humble service requires getting your focus off of yourself and onto the needs of others. Humility requires getting your focus off yourself. And then fourthly, humility requires receiving, not just giving. It's easy to serve or to give to those who need out of pride. Hey, look what I'm doing. I'm helping people. Peter's unwillingness at first to let Jesus serve him did not stem from humility. No, you're never going to wash my feet. That was pride. It wasn't humility. He It embarrassed him to think that Jesus would wash his feet. And that implied that his feet were dirty. You know, nobody likes to admit. No one wants to admit that their feet are dirty and they needed washing. Would have served Peter's pride much more if he had washed jesus feet but jesus explained that if he didn't wash peter's feet then he would have no part with him i think many people are offended by the gospel and they don't see their need for it because they're proud of their good works hey look and see what i've done i don't need the gospel i've i'm doing pretty good on my own i'm i'm proud of what i do for others just think of all the things I've done for the church over the years. Just think of all the things I've done for my community over the years. Just look what all that I've done. Wrong focus. Wrong focus. Hey, I don't have dirty feet. Would embarrass them to admit that their feet were dirty and that Jesus needs to wash them. But... To be right with God, you've got to recognize that your feet are filthy. And that's not taken care of by washing your own feet or washing by washing, but or washing uh, by washing others' feet. You only get right with God when you let Jesus wash your feet. So that leads us to a third theme here, and that is the reality of Christ cleansing your your sins. His undeserved love should be a reality in your life. His example of humble service should be a reality in your life, should be true of your experience. The foundational to everything else is your need to have Jesus wash away your sins. And so Jesus' action here foreshadows the cross. And the deeper meaning, I believe, there is that there's no place in his fellowship for those who have not been cleansed by his atoning death. And he points this out in 1 John 1:7 1, when he says and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin many people today would like to be Christians but they see no need for the cross they are ready to admire Jesus life and to praise the uh, the sublimity of his moral teaching but they cannot bring themselves to believe that Christ died for their sins and that without that death they would be lost in their sins. There are three reasons that we need Jesus Christ to cleanse our sins. Number one is because of who Jesus is. John begins his gospel in John chapter 1 verses 1 and 14 saying that Jesus is the eternal word who is God, who took on human flesh, he dwelt among us. He shared the glory of the Father. Was willing to lay aside uh, that so that he could come and bear the penalty of our sins on the cross. And he also tells us that earlier that he is the light of the world, absolutely pure, just as God is light. He spoke the very words of the Father to us uh, in 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 John chapter seven and eight. He lived a sinless life so that he could. Rhetorically ask his critics, which of you convinceth me of sin? Limiting ourselves to the text, though, we see that Jesus is eternal, omniscient. He is eternal and omniscient. He knew that his hour had come, that he would shortly be returning to the Father with whom he had dwelled before the foundation of the world. He knew that Judas would betray Him. And by the way, don't you think Jesus knows everything about you and me? He knows us. You're not hiding anything from Him. And so, Jesus, who is He? He's the loving one. In spite of our failures and sin, which He knows in advance, He still loves us. Jesus is the sovereign one. The Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. He was in complete control of His own death. Neither Satan nor Judas could thwart God's sovereign plan through the cross. But they would fulfill it. And then Jesus is the suffering servant who died for our sins. His example of humble, self-sacrificing service identifies him as the servant of Isaiah 53. The Passover connection identifies him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you come into the presence of the Holy One of God, you instantly recognize your need for cleansing. And so with Peter, you fall down at his feet and you cry, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The reality of Christ cleansing your sins, first of all, has to do with who Jesus is. And then secondly, because of who we are. We're all guilty sinners in need of cleansing. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And contrary to some, this text has nothing, uh, as some would say, this has to do with baptism. Well, it has nothing to do with baptism. It's not instituting a third church ordinance, the ordinance of foot washing. We'll talk about that again next time a little bit more. Some of you say, well, why don't we observe foot washing in our church? Come back next week and I'll tell you why. Just save that at this point, he is not instituting a third church ordinance. Rather, Jesus meant, I must wash your sins away by my atoning death, or you'll have no part with me. Jesus mentions two types of cleansing. One in verse 10, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whip. And ye are clean, but not all. The bath there refers to the once for all washing of Regeneration. When God cleanses us from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, all the disciples, except for Judas, were clean in this sense. But the foot washing refers to the ongoing application of that once-for-all cleansing to our daily lives. We can compare it to a boy who's adopted into a family and he becomes a full member of the family by virtue of his adoption. And he can't lose that standing, but in his daily relationship with his father... He might disobey and he might wrong his father. He doesn't lose his sonship, but he does need to ask his father's forgiveness so that that relationship can be close. In the same way, we stand before God completely forgiven through faith in Jesus and his shed blood, but in our relationship with God, we often fail, don't we? We need to receive the ongoing cleansing for for those sins that, are symbolized here by Jesus washing our feet. And so cleansing is necessary because of who Jesus is, and it's necessary because of who we are, and finally, it's necessary because of where we walk. We walk in a sinful world. And so our feet get dirty. Again, if you've trusted Christ You are never so dirty that you can't get a complete bath, but or that you need a complete bath, but at the same time, if although you've trusted Christ, you're never so pure that you don't need to get your feet washed. It's an ongoing process in your relationship with the Lord. Sometimes your feet get dirty because of deliberate sin. You choose to do what you know that God's Word forbids you to do. At those times, you need to confess your sin and uh, appropriate the forgiveness that God secured for you by his death. At other times, you maybe just feel defiled because of the contact that you've had with this dirty, cruddy world we live in. Maybe you've been bombarded with sensual advertisements or magazine covers at the supermarket checkout. Perhaps you've had to deal with worldly people at work, so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life have left you feeling defiled times when you open your bible and you just say lord cleanse me let the washing of the water by the word cleanse me and refresh my soul let jesus wash your feet so ask yourself three questions Do I consistently experience Christ's undeserved love? If not, you need to figure out why not and get that problem resolved. Do I consistently follow Christ's example of humble service? If not, maybe write down some ways in which you can begin to do that this week. Think about that. Meditate on it. Do I consistently come to Christ for cleansing from my sins and from the crud of this dirty world? If not, he's waiting with the basin and the water of his word to wash your feet. A humble servant find the reality of Christ's love, the reality of humble service, and the reality of Christ cleansing our sins. Let's pray. Father in